Steve, happy late Monday. How's it going, man? <laughs> I'm good, man. Really good. Just uh, made it home from the death hike at uh, two in the morning on Sunday night. Kind of straggled my way through the office <laughs> yesterday, and you know, it's Tuesday morning. We're quite literally limping along this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say we. I am sore, but it's not from the death hike because I couldn't make it this year, which was a massive bummer. Um, yeah, we won't we won't hit the death hike completely. Um, we've done full podcasts on this, but basically the short story uh, to lay some context here quick is in 2018, we did the 100 mile death hike and came up a little bit short. We were in the low to mid 90s for mileage on that. And uh, our original plan for the death hike this year was March and it was a snowshoe hike uh, that got canceled because of COVID. So a smaller group of guys who could make it. Um, you guys got together with this past weekend, Steve, about a dozen guys and tried to repeat that 2018, uh, route with some minor differences to make it a true 100 miler. Um, so it was kind of smaller in scale in terms of the number of guys who could make it, but, uh, big in terms of the mileage you guys were going for. So, uh, it was just like hit some quick highlights from it, Steve. We can maybe chat more about it later, but, uh. Yeah, yeah what, wanna, what are some takeaways from the weekend? Yeah, for, yeah, I want to get Russ, uh, Russ Meyer, you know, a good friend of ours. We've had it on the podcast. Go back and listen to any episodes we've done with him. He's just, uh, yeah, just one of the a beast, most solid dudes that I that I know, and, and probably the best hunter that I know. Um, so, but Russ is fifty two years old and uh, fifty two years young, I should say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he uh, he made the entire hike this weekend. It was an impressive feat to say the least. So, um, but yeah, so yeah, I, you know, first like that, uh, I had a personal like vendetta against, I wanted to go back and get that hundred miles done. Um, cause we, we came short at like 92, 93. I can't remember what it was that last time. So I added eight miles to the route this year and, uh, and then just, uh, we actually let, I let Russ pick the dates cause he hadn't been able to make it since the, the one we did out of the Frank church quite a few years ago. And uh, just he's always got an anniversary or something going on. So he picked the dates and just emailed everybody said, hey, here's uh, the date. Here's what we're doing. If you can show up, great. If not, uh, we'll see you on the next one. So we had uh, yeah, 12 guys show up. We uh, had pretty good attrition this year. We only had six guys do the whole route. Um, this is I was not one of them. It's the first year that I uh, did not complete the hike. So I, I ended up getting. Uh, let's see, we did 96 and I was about nine short. So I did 87 uh, miles of the 96, but, uh, basically the last day, last nine miles, uh, we were, we did a road crossing and my knee was, um, both my knees were completely blown up. Um, and I knew I could have finished it, but it was just what was going to be the, the cost after I finished those nine miles. Cause there was a pretty massive 4,000 foot descent at the very end of it that I knew was just going to kill me. If anyone's ever had IT band problems, they, they know exactly what I'm talking about. So yeah. that was tough, though. It was a tough pill to swallow to kind of bow out and, um, you know, quote unquote, go the go the safe route of not injuring myself. But it's not uh, it's kind of a check your man card in, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it was not easy. But uh, I guess first uh, 100 miles is, is hard. Um, I, th- I, was jo- I was joking, like uh, it's like a, a woman, a woman with labor, right? Like they forget the, the birth pains. Um, <laughs> I forgot how freaking hard it was. Um, it's, uh, you know, I just, I had it in my head that I've done it before. I can do it again. Um, but I really, really hiked and trained in 18 getting ready for that. And this year I'm probably better overall physical condition, but I've just been 
biking a lot and and not hiking. A lot of that's been, uh, you know, I've, I've got a pretty messed up lower back and it's really been bothering me this year, but biking is one of the things I could do that was pretty, um, uh, asymptomatic, right. Didn't, didn't inflame my lower back. So that part of it was good, but I just didn't log the miles on that just to kind of build up that tolerance of, you know, weight on your, you know, the, the weight on your feet and your knees and just all your joints and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I dropped the ball there. I should have just forced myself to get some more miles in, uh, hiking going into it. But, um, uh, yeah, it was tough, man. That the first day we did 35.5 miles, literally started hiking at 6.08 AM, rolled into the camp, I think at about 11, 15 PM. And that's just pretty much hiking all day. You know, we, we'd stop and do 15, 20 minute breaks, uh, every six miles on average, um, sometimes more, sometimes less, it's been on water crossings, but just on your feet all day. And by the time you get done with that, you, you're like mentally, you're just done. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think we started with 12 and then four guys dropped out the first night. So the second day we were with eight, um, and the second day, uh, day one, I, you know, was completely utterly beat like you feel like there's just no way you know you're, you're rolling into camp that night and, and mentally you're just done um like everyone for the most part felt that way and you're just like how can i get up and, and do this again uh and that's what that's the hard part you know it's that it's kind of easy to do um one long hard day knowing the next day you could rest but to do an extreme day and then get basically five hours of sleep at best um Cause you're, you're so, uh, by the time you finish that 35 and a half miles, you can't, like, uh, I think me and most of the other guys, it's not like you just lay down and fall asleep. Like your body yeah. is so it's like you're going through these shakes and chills and, and just like fevery type thing. It's really weird. Uh, <laughs> you can't eat, you know, you have a tough time choking down food. Um, so you're just kind of like forcing your body to do all this stuff. And it, I probably didn't fall asleep till at least one. And then we were up at uh, six kind of mosing around getting ready to, to get going again. Mm-hmm. But, uh, day two, I woke up and, and then my knees, uh, basically had a little descent right right off the get go. And my knees were just freaking killing me. I was just trekking poles, just ro- rolling out my IT bands as best as possible. And, um, so, kind of struggled through the first 10 miles. And then somebody, because Will gave me two ibuprofen and I, I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm like, this is so painful. There's no way ibuprofen is going to do anything. Um, and sure enough, dude, after about 30 minutes of taking those, the pain went from like a nine down to a four or five and it was quite tolerable. So made it through, um, the rest of that day, just kind of popping Advil every four hours, uh, kind of kept the symptoms at bay. And then, um, at the very end, we got to this summit about nine thirty, and it's, I, I know you can recall it's a really brutal 3400 foot descent yeah. that you do in about it's under two miles uh and the, the, the trail whoever was building the trail 100 years ago was uh must have been short of time because they didn't add a single switch back <laughs> to the thing it's, that is a good way to put it's it like man a game trail it's just straight down the mountain and you're on like the kind loose. of baseball size rocks yeah. it's 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 rough man and my um basically the Advil had worn off and I didn't have any more. And, and I think all day long, maybe the Advil was kind of doling the pain, um, and kind of hiding the symptoms, right? Like they were still there, but it was just kind of, I couldn't feel it. 
Um, so that when that wore off, um, dude, I was like, uh, about as close to tears as you could be what it felt Mm -hmm. like, right? Like coming down that mountain. And then I was with Russ and, and he was, um, he was done. Like he got to that summit and we had to drop down and, um, he was just, just done. And we'll, we'll get him on the podcast, I think, and, and talk hunting and, and recap the hike a little bit too. Cause it, yeah. it, uh, 52 years young, he completed that entire thing, which is quite an impressive feat, but it wasn't, uh, um, that took some serious mental toughness to, to do that, which was, it was very, very impressive. So, yeah. um, other than that, the, the, I guess overall picture beside it just being really hard is, you know, I've, I've done it already so that the diet part of it I had pretty good. Um, I did <laughs> TMI, but basically I was like the whole day too, I was joking that I must have got Giardia, dude, because I was like every, <laughs> every, oh man, yeah, there's mid part of the day where it was like, yeah, every 30 minutes I was, you know, having to drop off the side of the trail and. It Do you was, think uh, that was something you ate or any idea? You no, know, I don't know. I can't, ex- I can't explain it. It was, yeah. it was rough though. I was borrowing wipes from, from Boshma cause I, you know, I, sh- I thought I had packed enough for the whole trip and halfway through day two, I'm running out of it. Uh, <laughs> so that, that was a little rough. Um, but, uh, yeah, food, I mean, other than that, I had the food pretty dialed. Like I had stuff that I could eat. Like we, I think, uh, we met, or, I, know, I didn't, didn't mention on this podcast, but I remember telling somebody like, imagine, just put yourself mentally where you are like so sick and nauseous that you can't imagine eating and then just think of something that you could eat. That you right? could force like, yourself to eat. Something yep. you force yourself down because we've done the whole like really heavy protein bars that, you know, and most guys you just get kind of that nausea. You just can't choke that thing down. So I, I did go with, uh, you know, just some really simple crap like Oreos and um had some cookies uh did some like oatmeal cookies that i'd brought and the oreos and what else gummy bears were the staple um mm-hmm. or black forest the only good ones Dude, um, <laughs> don't, don't get me started don't get our <laughs> listeners started we'll get to that um but uh, yeah so that was good you know had had everything down good took care of my feet well did you know every six miles swapped out socks um did i did you run get- the same footwear the whole time Yep. Yeah. I, I, I literally went and bought some, uh, Solomon speed crosses and just straight out of the box, uh, slapped them on and, and went for it. I knew they'd fit and work. And I wanted, um, all the shoes I had been, uh, wearing or had laying around were all Gore-Tex and I wanted a non Gore-Tex shoe. Um, so literally on the way out of town, picked up some, our, uh, Solomon speed crosses and they, they worked good. Um, you know, everyone's feet are just so different that you just, um, you know, it just depends. You just got to know what works for you and what doesn't. So Russ, uh, he was wearing some Solomon's and some La Sportiva's, you know, trail running type shoes. And then, um, his feet were, were toast. And the last day he slapped on, um, I think, uh, some Scarpa boots that are his go-to hunting boots. And he was loving them. Mm. Just felt like, uh, you know, you're just on so many rocks that that for him, it was worth it just to be able to not have to worry about foot placement, just kind of like plod your way through it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, we had about, pretty split half the guys were um anywhere from like ultras to uh, a couple guys had those hoka hoka one one shoes that they had uh i think that was Corey and aj both of them their feet did great uh but the shoes were basically done like they 100 miles and you know chunks of rubber falling off stitching's falling apart but that's you know for a, a lightweight shoe that's 
hundred miles is, is a lot of freaking mileage on them. So, um, and then, yeah, a few other guys wearing some more leather boots, you know, just depend, like just depend on the person, what they were, what they used and what worked for and what didn't, we didn't have near the foot issues we had in 18 though. Nobody mm-hmm. was completely covered in blisters or anything like that. I'd say overall is a pretty good success there. So, yeah, but yeah, I ended up, uh, we had, uh, I had built the route for a hundred miles. Day one was so rough that, um, going into day two, um, day one was rougher than we did a mile and a half last year, 37 and 18 and 35.5 this year. Um, but I had day two starting off with two little, like a 2000 foot climb, then a 1500 foot drop and then a thousand foot climb. Um, and then it would have been like a 40 something mile day and it just, it wasn't going to happen. So we kind of had to on the fly adjust the route, um, to be more like 18 and then just kind of said, Hey, if we end up, you know, I knew we were going to be short. I didn't know how much, um, but figured like if you get to the road at the end and you got to hike, you know, an extra four miles, uh, to get the hundred, then we're going to do it, you know? And, and of course everyone's like, Oh yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And by the end of it, we, everyone's like, Nope, I'm in the truck. I'm at 96 miles. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just no way can I imagine, you know, pounding out uh, another four miles on a, on a gravel road. So, um, it just, it goes to show like, like I said, just how freaking hard that, that is. It, it's, I mean, all the guys that did it, you know, everyone's like, yep, that's, you know, not even a question, the most physically demanding, mentally demanding thing that I've ever put myself through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just flat out not easy. Even if, um, you know, Anthony Oberti uh, did it, um, he crushed it this year, did, did really well. And even if you're in peak physical condition like he was, it's still torture, you know. It, yeah. It's, a, it's just freaking no way around it. It's not easy. So. Yeah, it's hard. It's it's just like impossible to put into words. I mean, even like hearing about it now and I did it in 2018, like you just you unless you just have done it, you forget how terrible it was because even now it's like, oh, you know, it, like it was hard. But and there's just yep. no like when you've done it or you're in the middle of it, there's no but it's just terrible. <laughs> um, it's just hard <laughs> yeah. and you get to the end and yeah, it's like guys might hear you couldn't walk another four, like after walking 96 miles, you couldn't walk four miles, especially if it's just easy on a road. Right. But like, it's just, you have no idea where you're at mentally and physically when you've done those 96, you know, yeah, uh, exactly. it's just tough to put into words, man. Yeah. Let's, um, we'll jump on some questions. I, I said, I'd love to get Russ on and, and, you know, get him on for a full episode and spend the first first half talking to the hike because i think it'd be fun to have his perspective on it so yeah yeah and we need to we need to talk with russ anyway man he's a so so good anything we talk about with russ is just going to be quality so we'll make that happen for sure um yeah some listener questions let's um first one up this guy says he's going on his first western hunt uh he's been training with and loves the solomon x ultras which you've worn quite a bit steve He's asking, does he need to run ankle gaiters to keep rocks and dirt out? He's definitely a less is more guy, so he doesn't want to wear them unless it's a necessity. I'd say no. Um, I've tried them. What I, to me, the bigger enemy is sweat uh, than, uh, you know, the occasional rock getting in your shoe. Uh, And any gaiter, even kind of the lightweight trail running, quote unquote, breathable gaiters, they're really just capping off the top of the shoe and they... Uh, in my experience, my feet are a lot hotter and a lot sweatier because of that, that it's just not worth it. So, um, there's 
you know, if I was wearing uh, with a mid, if he's running the X Ultra mids, definitely don't worry about it. If he's running the lows, and he's, you know, depending, like I could see throwing them in your pack, um, and there could be like a certain descent that's worth putting them on, right? Like you, you know, you got to go down this, you know, four thousand feet of rocky shale stuff. Uh, you know, maybe it's worth throwing on, but in general, no. Like if, um, to me, it's like if a rock, like if it, a single point during the day, uh, a little, you know, marble sized rock gets in the shoe. I just take my shoe off and dump it out and put my shoe back on and keep going. Uh, to me, that's a way easier solution than, than messing with gators the entire time. So, yeah, I mean, um, gators are must in certain areas in terms of like moisture at certain times of the year with season. But even then you're talking a much higher gator for true weather protection. If it's only that dust dirt debris type issue, um, yeah, I think that's just more personal. For some guys, maybe that drives them nuts. But like you said, there's downsides to capping that off and losing breathability and all that. But um, yeah, again, so many personal aspects to that one. Um, I had an interesting one. It, it's so, again, personal. But the good one on this is there's there's information out there. This guy asks, how does he determine his daily caloric intake for extended backcountry hunts? Any idea besides taking um, his normal diet and trying to figure out what would also work with hunting? So, again, it sounds like he's a newer hunter. He's not quite sure, like, how many calories is enough. He's looking for experience. Doesn't know maybe his body on extended hunts and what's going to be right. Um, and, again, there's a personal aspect to that. Not not on preference necessarily, but just on, you know, your height, your weight, and all that. Um We've said this before, but going back to the podcast we've done with uh, Kyle Camp from Valley to Peak Nutrition would be super helpful on that. We discussed that in depth. You can actually go to exomountaingear.com forward slash nutrition. Um, and Kyle basically gave us like a, a worksheet and a document there that you can download for free that'll walk you directly through that. So taking your body metrics, if you will, um, even the intensity of your hunt, and then giving you an idea for calories that you need. So that's a good place to start if you don't have experience. And I would just say from there, you're you're going to figure that out for yourself. Um, you're going to kind of know what works for you. Um, you know, for me, even it depends on, like I said, intensity of the hunt, even time of the year and weather. Um, I've noticed changes in what I need. But um, again, those guidelines would be good to start with. And that's just at exomountgear.com forward slash nutrition. You can get that guide and that previous podcast there. Um, Steve, this is a super interesting one. Never heard of, uh, but is worth mentioning for sure. Heard from a listener who has heard us talk about taking Tylenol PM in the mountains or something similar to help us sleep. Um, and he was saying him and his wife were on a backpacking trip there in Idaho in the wilderness, um, and it was actually late June, but they got nine plus inches of snow. And essentially, they had a teepee-style shelter. They had the upper vent closed for warmth, and that nine inches of snow fell and then sealed off the bottom of the tent. So they were essentially asleep in a fully sealed, non-vented tent uh, and woke up around 2 a.m. He said suffocating and completely just out of it. They knew something was wrong, but they were so mentally and physically disoriented. They couldn't quite figure it out at first. And they basically just realized he had to open the door. They were like, we're lacking oxygen um, because of uh, that tent being sealed off. 
Really interesting, man. I never thought of that being an issue. And obviously it takes a, a certain type of shelter, a certain condition and all that to happen. But he was basically saying that, you know, be aware of taking Tylenol PM and sleeping too deep, which I think in general is, aside from personal issues, maybe not too big of a concern. But um, in that situation, getting snow, getting that type of right condition, that, that could have been bad, man. Yeah, it's, it's that's crazy. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. Uh, uh, something to be aware of, I guess. I mean, I could see if it's a small enough tp and there's just truly no airflow you know you'd think there'd be some getting through things but if it's everything's fully sealed and the vent up top seals off tight and yeah um yeah that's interesting and there's two of them i don't know if i mentioned that it was him and his wife so that expedites yeah. it right you got two people yep. breathing that um <laughs> pretty wild man that's that's a that's a new one yeah i had some feedback from a guy who listened to our uh budget gear podcast we did that one quite a while ago um have gotten a lot of great feedback on that. Actually, I've heard from countless people who've said they've bought essentially that exact gear um, from the budget gear and been really happy with it. So that's been cool to hear. Um, but he was writing and basically saying, loved the budget gear podcast, but one thing you guys didn't cover was a backpack. I know this is a catch-22 for you guys in your business, but seriously, what would you recommend for a budget backpack? Um he didn't throw out a budget number, so I have no idea what number he's talking about. But um, yeah, if a guy has, you know, maybe sticker shock or can't quite afford an XO pack or, um, you know, a similar pack at that at that level, what, what are your thoughts on thinking through that, Steve, on a budget pack? Um, man, I'd go back to what I did on my first few backpacking trips is I had a um, Cabela's used to have a pretty decent pack frame. Um that, you know, I think you could get for a hundred something bucks. And then I had just a, a day, you know, my day hunting pack at the time that I just strapped to that frame and kind of put my sleeping bag and tent and stuff and, you know, in the stuff sacks, strapped them to the frame and then strapped that day, day pack to the top. That's probably going to be your best bet. I would, I would modify my hunting to like hike in three, four miles and then, and then hunt around camp. Right. Um, that way it'd be that you could just drop that pack frame because you're just not going to want to hunt with that the entire time. It's just not going to be fantastic. It just it's going to be invaluable once you get heavy weight. Uh, you know, you get your elk down and then you're coming back out. So I would go into that pack frame, drop it. It's going to be heavy, you know, because you're basically taking two packs almost. But I think for um, you know, any pack will work great if you do, if you hike in there and don't kill something. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, not necessarily work great, but but be be okay. Get the job um, done. Yeah, get the job done. You just need to carry your tent and sleeping bag around. Uh, big deal. It's just that's when a, a true, a good quality pack pays for itself. Is is what really when meat hits the ground. So um, that's where I think if if I had a really tight budget, I'd just grab you know whatever heck backpack you got laying around that you use. If you're a, a whitetail guy and you have a little pack that you take into the the tree stand with you, you know throw have that be your kind of a essentials pack that you're running around chasing elk with, where you got your jacket and food and headlamp and water filter in and then and then i'd set up a base camp with that pack frame and just leave the pack frame there until you kill something so and i think yeah you could you know i think kelty makes some really good frames uh, i don't know what cabela's does anymore last time i looked that that what i saw didn't look as the same kind of padding and, and design that i remember the one i had was but it's been 15 years ago that i got that so um yeah i think that's probably your best bet i wouldn't you're not going to want a, 
you know, to get a $150 pack and try to pack meat with it. You got to have a pack frame. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, that'd be your best budget way to, to, you know, get out and get a few hunts in. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say the same. There's that, um, like that middle tier hunting pack where you're spending still a decent chunk of money, but not, you know, the, the higher premium stuff. I, I would rather just like what you said, Steve, go, if you, like avoid that middle area is what I'd say. And I'm not naming names or no vendetta against companies. That's just my experience prior to EXO. Um, you know, having tried to do that, um, you'd be better off. Like you said, Steve, have a pack frame and then, you know, a day pack or what have you and go that route versus trying to get that do it all pack. Um, at that, at that middle tier where the, really the quality and the comfort and all that's truly kind of not there. Um, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, it's one of those situations and again, guys can say we're biased here, but if you truly want to get into and continue to hunt the backcountry, um, you know, packing boots, man, it's like two of the most critical things. So I would, um, just make that a priority in terms of your budget. Um, you know, save money in other ways, whether that's shoot. I mean, that could be weapon, that could be tent, that could be sleep system, that could be clothing. Um, again, we're not saying this to be biased. It's just based off of experience, like good yeah, pack and a, good boots is just what's going to make yeah. it happen out there. It's just a fact. Yeah. <laughs> like, like boots are probably number one. Um, because you just don't want your feet to be killing you all day long. It just that's miserable. And then pack comes number two. And a, and a pack, like I said, a pack isn't doesn't really pay for itself until you go to slot meat in it. And that's you know, I would say a vast majority of our sales right are someone calling in after they've used a pack, had a miserable pack out experience, and are looking for something better. Right? Yeah. Um, they've done it. They've been there. They don't want to do it again. Let's let's find a better option. So, um, yeah. And then like I said, you know. You know, depending on where you're at, especially lower 48, a hundred dollar Walmart tent probably hold you up just fine for, you know, for the most of it. So it's like Mm -hmm. you don't have to spend. There's a lot of gear places like what we did in our budget gear podcast where you can save money and get, you know, 80, 90 percent of the performance that you would out of something more expensive. Yeah. And I mean, if you're budget pack shopping, you know, keep in mind there's used stuff out there, too. Right. So. You yeah. can hop on, you know, forum like Rockslide. You can, uh, there's a Facebook group for like XO um, users. It's not a group that we run, but literally people started it and it's, there's, I don't know, thousands of people in there and you'll see used XO packs hop up in there. So there are options. Um, if you got a little bit of time and patience, you can look for something there as well. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of uh, when someone wants to get into mountain biking, I'm like, I always tell them jump on Craigslist and find a uh, find a five year old used bike that's, um, you know, bikes kind of unique and they lose a lot of value. Uh, they you know, five years down the road they're you know half to a third the price that were brand new. But it's a great way to get a quality bike and and get started. So I don't packs aren't uh, you know uh, going to lose near that much value, but they're still you could save a couple hundred bucks for sure and get a used one that's you know two three years old. Gosh dang it, Steve, you were just like the uh the mind reader today i had a question about mountain biking next and you had no oh. idea so <laughs> kudos sir on the Bring transition <laughs> um actually I had a couple questions on mountain biking um neither of them were too super specific but both 
basically had what are your thoughts on using mountain bikes for hunting uh one guy was specifically asking about fat tire bikes i don't know that that's going to matter um he also mentioned e-bikes but he was still considering just a traditional mountain bike um and then another guy was just very curious as well he's in an area where there's um access to some old two-track roads that are currently closed to motor vehicle access so he thought it seemed like a a good way to cover some miles on these older roads with a mountain bike but both were just generally asking about um experience using mountain bikes for hunting when does it make sense what are things to think about um obviously steve you've ridden a ton uh in the past recreationally is training competitively and all that so what are your take what's your take on using um, bikes for hunting you you really it's not worth it unless uh if if it's truly non-motorized some of the um uh the e-bikes now electric bikes right you can do some cool stuff on some single track trails you still got to be um i haven't done this yet so i shouldn't say definitively but i packing out an elk on an e-bike on a single track that's a steep downhill i can't imagine that going well you're like <laughs> it's hard enough to do on a good bike um you know so I, I don't see how that goes well but like you know if you're just got a 20 pound pack in you can probably rally those things in some places but um if it's truly non-motorized to me the uh, a yes i'd get a fat tire bike uh, hands down no question um, and then it just needs to be a road. It's just gotta be a logging, an old logging road that's not used anymore, gated off. And then it makes a lot of sense. You can, you can really cruise through some country, but even when I'm in like peak mountain biking shape, it doesn't like if it's a, a really rough single track trail to get some back in there, six miles. Um, it just, you're just better off hiking that six miles. Uh, you just, it's not, uh, you know, you got a regular mountain bike with, you know, 2.2 inch tires and you got a 30 40 pound pack on uh you're just burning more energy and, and wasting um you know wasting energy i think than just not worth it so but yeah if, if i lived in like northern idaho that's just got gobs of logging roads that are gated off man i'd be all over that it's just not where i hunt central southern idaho uh it just doesn't make any sense you know uh some of the guys in uh, uh western oregon right all the old uh the timberlands that I got logging roads that uh, I think some of them you got to buy permits for now, but yeah, like have a bike and a trailer. Holy cow, be killer setup. So, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, if it's again, if it's just a single track trail, you're just burning more energy and just frust- it's frustrating. Um, I wouldn't even try it. Yeah. Um, I had a question as well on uh, going again. These are like going back in time. It's it never ceases to amaze me the episodes that I forgot about that <laughs> still come up right and i feel like yeah. it, in general in this podcast i've forgotten more than i've learned <laughs> and i don't mean that like in a bad way i've learned a ton from our guests but there's so much out there that uh there's just a lot i forgot about going back to our building a backcountry rifle series which is a whole series we did uh shoot i don't even know steve probably 2016 maybe 2017 um but basically, this guy was asking what happened to Weatherby because he saw a recent article that I did on my rifle build, which was a Tika. Uh, but he had gone back and listened to the older Building a Backcountry Rifle series, and we were um, talking about Weatherby rifles and shooting their Vanguard backcountry. So he was basically asking why the switch uh, and did we have any issues with the Weatherby rifles? 
Uh, the short answer for that for me is no. I had zero issues with a Weatherby rifle. Um, it's a fantastic rifle. Um, I think the Vanguard series in general from Weatherby um, has some great offerings. I mean, it's it's one of those things, and we talked about this then that you can get a very basic Vanguard for a very affordable price. You can you know get different models and specifications of Vanguards with additional features, upgraded stocks, upgraded finishes, and all that, such as we did with um, the Vanguard Backcountry Rifle. It was a fantastic rifle. The The reason that I switched, and this was only after a fair amount of time with that rifle that I was happy with, is I just, I'm left-handed, and I've always grown up shooting right-handed rifles, uh, and so that that didn't phase me, really, on that Vanguard. But it just got to the point where um, for me, I just knew that I wanted to essentially work on a rifle, uh, that was going to be good for all kinds of hunting last me a ton of years into the future. And I just decided that I wanted to go to a left-handed platform and have that ability to have a left-handed bolt being a left-handed shooter, um, for the first time. And I'm glad I did it. Uh, and Weatherby didn't have, um, the option that I was looking for in left-handed. And so I just decided to, uh, start with an out-of-the-box Tika. Um, absolutely love that rifle, um, even if it's stock configuration. And again, I had a, a recent article showing some of the upgrades I did to it with like a um, stock and things like that. Um, so that's the reason for the switch. Nothing. Um, I had zero negative experiences with that Weatherby. Um, I know that's, uh, you know, still have friends shooting Weatherbees and are super happy with them. Um, anything to add on that one, Steve, on your experience with that rifle? I uh, really like that rifle. We, um, Lenny has it now. Uh, <laughs> that 270 that I got uh, uh, killed a caribou with it. Um, fantastic gun. It shot. I was shooting um, just factory uh, ELDX, I think 145 grain ELDX. I think that's right. Yeah, I think so. Um, 270. And man, that thing, I mean, it, it was literally factory gun shooting sub MOA. I mean, it was, I remember, because at the, obviously at the time, I was just like literally gone from shooting a bow for 15 years and had zero rifle experience. And I remember like shooting groups and showing it to a buddy who's a rifle guy. And he's just like, like really like, you know, my custom guns barely getting those, those group sizes. It was shooting really, really well. Um, and then I just ended up, uh, um, snowy mountain rifles kind of reached out to us and we ended up building, I ended up building a Creedmoor with them. And so when I got that Creedmoor, I, uh, Lenny, I just gave Lenny that gun. So, so he had a, a good shooting gun. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's fantastic gun. I wouldn't hesitate to buy another one in a heartbeat if, um, I was on a, on a budget and looking at that price range. Yeah. Um, speaking of shooting, Steve, I, uh, we did that podcast with the guys from Thunder Beast Arms about, uh, suppressors. Uh, I think that was back in November, December when that podcast aired, if you guys want to go back and check that out. But I just took, uh, possession of my suppressor finally. The ATF oh, let me have it. Sucker. Um, <laughs> so I shot with it for the first time this weekend. Um, don't tell me. I don't even want to know. Yeah. So I'll <laughs> just be I, quiet. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, dude, it's, it's, uh, it's way different. I mean, it's one of those things, that, I guess, manage your expectations, right? Cause there's this whole idea out there and, you know, blame it on movies and TV that a suppressor is just like, pew, pew, just like super crazy quiet. Um, it makes a massive difference for sure. Um, it's just not, you know, Hollywood quiet, but it amazed me was how different it just, not the sound, but just the shootability and what that recoil impulse was like is otherworldly different. Hmm. Um, but you, you went know, from no, went no break at all, right? Well, so I had, um, 
I had no break on my Tika initially, and I had shot that way for year and a half, two years. But then in anticipation of the suppressor, I had it rebarreled uh, with a proof barrel. And when I did that, um, you can get a direct thread um, suppressor from Thunderbeast. I did the brake attachment option. So then I started shooting my Tika with that proof barrel with um, essentially the suppressor mount, which is a, it's like a micro brake. It's a pretty small brake. So I was shooting it braked for a bit and that made a big difference. But then now shooting it suppressed, um, it's just, it's like, it's almost hard to describe, but it's, it's definitely way, not only even the amount of recoil, but just the type of recoil, say it's much more of, it's less sharp for sure. Less muzzle flip, like definitely stays on target much better. It's just more of a direct push. And I don't want to use the word delayed, but it's, yeah, it's just totally different. But I was super curious just to see point of impact shift, accuracy. And then really for me, one of the main things I was, I don't want to say concerned with, but wanted to verify was just the repeatability of it. So um, essentially I had a, a zero shift of right over two inches with the suppressor on. Um, and that's, you know, a combination of either the weight of the suppressor or the harmonics, you can attribute that what you want, but essentially with and without the suppressor, my point of impact shift is about two inches. And with the suppressor is basically just dropping about two inches lower, which makes sense with like the added weight to the barrel. Type deal. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. So, but then my question became, okay, so I have a shift of two inches. If I re zero for my suppressor point of impact what happens if I take the suppressor off and reinstall it? Is that repeatable? So does that same shift happen every time, right? Because I want to be mm -hmm. able to, like, say I'm traveling, like I'm coming out to Idaho for uh, an elk hunt in October. If I have my suppressor off for traveling and put it back on, is it going to be, is that zero going to be repeatable? And so I literally, I shot, I shot a group with no suppressor. Um, I'm, and I'm shooting those hammer bullets. This load I have is just like, ridiculously accurate shot a group without the suppressor put the suppressor on a shot a group to see what changed in accuracy as well as point of impact accuracy was still phenomenal point of impact like i said was about two inches lower and then i wanted to shoot a group taking the suppressor completely on and off between every shot so took it off put it back on shoot took it off completely let the barrel sit and everything, you know, cool for a bit, put the suppressor back on, shoot, repeat that. And it was a hundred percent repeatable. I mean, I literally had all of my shots touching and that's with completely removing the suppressor and reinstalling it between every shot. So, um, dude, super impressed so far. It's, it's crazy fun to shoot, man. The recoil <laughs> impulse is way different, much easier to stay on target. And like I said, I was just hoping in a, relieved and happy to see that that is just super repeatable and that's one of the reasons to be honest with you that uh just from the research that i had done of why i wanted to go with thunder beast and it, we had reached out to them to get them on the podcast but i had done the research before then to go what type of suppressor would i be interested in and then let's you know see if we can talk with those guys and uh that's what we did so nice you excited, went with the man. seven right yeah so i have the yeah. seven inch i think you got the five inch right yep yep yeah, so 
Um, oh, I can't wait to get mine. Yeah. yeah, it'll be cool, man. But yeah, like it was, uh, I didn't have a ton of time to shoot. I actually did it Friday morning, uh, early before work. Um, so I'm excited to, uh, to do more with it in the future for sure. But like just first impressions, results and accuracy and repeatability and all that was fantastic. That was killer. Well, guys, that's a wrap on this one. Um, if you've got any questions for us anytime, just let us know. Shoot us an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button. We got uh, a full episode coming tomorrow, tomorrow being Wednesday, with Robbie Denning on our Mule Deer series. That's actually wrapping up this week. We got some other bonus episodes uh, for that series coming this week. So, a lot to come, uh, lots to come in the future as we get close to preseason. Some great stuff coming. So, appreciate you guys as always for tuning in. And again, if you have anything for us, just send us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com.